This is a podcast. All right, Chelsea here, otherwise known as Chelsea Bells, and this is a quick reminder that I put out podcasts every sometimes. So this, I guess, would be number five. I think that is how counting works. And I have a little bit of a mix today. I have things that I felt like talking about, and I had things that other people want me to talk about, and by other people, I mean one other person. But I was really compelled to talk about honey buns as topic number one. I think everybody remembers honey buns or has had a honey bun. And if you're not familiar with what a honey bun is, go to your great aunt's house, go to the very back of her pantry, and in a clear wrapper with no labeling, there is something that resembles a cinnamon roll. And when you open it, it appears that it is covered in saliva or something else, like someone had just licked it and then put it in the package and then vacuum sealed it. And the saliva itself is such a strong preservative, they actually will not go bad. You think Twinkies can last forever. I think a honey bun would beat a Twinkie in a fight any day. I guess what brought me to honey buns is I was was thinking about them. I don't know why I was thinking about honey buns. Maybe I've been sort of dieting, so I've been craving everything I can't have or shouldn't have or shouldn't even want to eat. And naturally, honey buns came up uh, because I remember, you know, I used to love honey buns. And when you were a kid, they're like the greatest because they're sugary and they're glazed and they're sticky and they're soggy. No matter, like under any circumstance, like you could be eating a honey bun that has been left out for six days and it would be just as oozy and like a old sponge as the first day. I just remember being a kid and like I'd always ask my dad to buy honey buns and then you know once you eat a lot of something you kind of forget that it exists but then like two years later I'd be digging through the pantry and be like oh we must have gotten honey buns. Nope and that was after my dad stopped living there so I don't know I don't know how those honey buns got there but they're always just as disgusting and now I as an adult, I just can't even see why they're appetizing. I can't really get past that slimy texture. Why are they so wet? Why are honey buns so wet? That is the mystery. Um, Speaking of honey buns, I thought that it would be pertinent to discuss Honey Boo Boo's future. I was thinking about this. I mean, oftentimes we kind of see the where are they now in the BuzzFeed articles and I want to think what I'm going to be looking at 10 years from now on when I'm probably one of the only people still on Facebook with like whatever of our relatives are still alive. And I want to click on a link and I want to know what Honey Boo Boo's doing. And I don't know if any of you have watched the show. I don't exactly recommend it. I guess it's been canceled, you know, since once someone's a pedophile. I mean, not that that's surprising, but uh, her family was a big diabetic train wreck that was just littered with obesity and stupid. But Honey Boo Boo, you know, that was, she's a witty little kid. She actually has potential if it weren't for the anchor that is her family, the very heavy, obese, fatty, tissued anchor. Um, I'd like to see that we have Honey Boo Boo as proclaimed Nobel Prize winner for figuring out how to resuscitate blobs of fat back to life and even turn them into sentient, useful people in society. Something crazy like that. 
that of course, you know, she wouldn't get inspiration from her family or anything, but but I think Honey Boo Boo's future could be bright, assuming she makes it past the age of 12. Which really, if she's not 600 pounds and dead by the age of 12, I think she has a shot. Not an ugly kid. I mean, obviously when you eat sketty, which for those of you that don't know is butter, pasta, and ketchup, um, I've, you know, I have, I have high hopes for Honey Boo Boo. Call me a dreamer. And, you know, it's important to dream. So speaking of fat things and fat people, I think that it would be great to talk about five restaurants that I think need better names. Uh, It kind of turned into which restaurants do I think need more accurate slogans, because when I went to rename certain, I did all fast food restaurants. Um, When I went to rename them, I just, I felt like the name was fitting. I don't think the names of these places are terribly misleading, So I kind of came up with a new slogan. So number one, I decided to talk about, uh, let's just call it indigestion, because it's inedible meat shoved in, uh, there's like no nutrition in it at all. Like, you know, when you're at a burger, like, oh, at least I can have some protein here, protein dripped in fat, but at least there's some protein. Well, with Taco Bell, it's like, I'm going to eat this chemical-based meat paste, and it's going to give me severe diarrhea and stomach cramping. Uh, Instead of including everything in the Pepto-Bismol commercial, I just called it indigestion, and I left the nausea and heartburn and the upset stomach and the diarrhea to the wayside, but I think Taco Bell and Pepto-Bismol should partner up and hopefully don't create some sort of monopoly for the digestive tract, because then our government would have to get involved Secondly, uh, I picked Papa John's. I actually hate Papa John's. I think it is the worst pizza, and I changed the subject to just eat the box. Because, yep, their pizza is cardboard. 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 It is a bird. It's cardboard, and it's gross. And the sauce, so- it's too saucy. Papa John's is too saucy, and that crappy cheese, and that. Oh, and then they give you that little, like, the little artery clogger on the side, the little garlic dip, which is just like garlic butter oil. And then I used to watch people fight over at work. And it's pretty much why everyone else in the world hates Americans is because when we eat our cardboard, we dip it in oil because we're fat. And that's how that works. Then we have Burger King with the new slogan, somehow worse than McDonald's. Uh, I, I stand by this. I mean, at least McDonald's, I, McDonald's makes me deathly ill, just like Taco Bell. I just physically cannot eat it. Um, it's not good for you and it doesn't taste that great, but Burger King is somehow worse. I, it's, it's kind of just, it's the Kmart of, of the food world. I mean, it's the place where I mean, 10 nuggets for $1.49, like, there's something wrong with that. Like, I can get, right now in California, I could get 40 nuggets for the same, I could get a gallon of gas. And there's something wrong. One of those things is not, they, they can't be the same. They just can't. Um, the, then I did Chipotle. The new slogan for Chipotle I thought would be pseudo-healthy, because everyone goes in there like, oh my god, like, I'm just not going to get sour cream, and it's going to be, like, super healthy. Like, the guac is fine. I know it's extra, but it's super healthy. And so you get this big, fat bowl, 
because you're healthy, right? Everyone knows tortillas are bad for you. So you get this bowl and you fill it to the brim with ingredients and you're like, oh, just a little bit of rice. Okay, this is great. And then you like you see on the board, it's like, oh, it's only 600 calories. Like that's pretty good because I'm going to be hungry for a while. And then it turns out that as soon as you start adding anything, it's like, congratulations, you ate three days worth of calories in a bowl. But, you know, the ingredients didn't make you ill. No GMOs because we're trendy. No carnitas. So there you go. We're better than you. That's what it really is. Chipotle, we think we're better than you. We're tricking you. So they're pseudo healthy. That's kind of their thing. It's kind of their market. Then number five, I feel like I had to do McDonald's, um, which I changed the slogan to, even our salads taste like old oil. Not even like oil, but like they, like the oil that's been sitting there that they've been frying things in for the past year. Um, I should have changed it to even our coffee tastes like it's been dipped in oil. One of the time, the last time I had McDonald's, it was a terrible idea, but I got some sort of frappuccino thing or some kind of coffee thing, and I kid you not, it tasted like coffee, milk, chocolate, and oil. Uh, I think it's what did me in and gave me a terrible stomach thing that I had to be hospitalized for. So, you know, I'm a big... McDonald's is clearly one of my sponsors. Uh, I think... After, that's something I did as an adult, too. I don't know why I thought chicken nuggets and, like, coffee would go great together for McDonald's. But it kind of kind of just happened. Not one of my finer moments at all. Definitely something I think I regret. No, I regret it. Totally regret it. I didn't even get a kid's meal, so I didn't even get a stupid plastic toy of some stupid thing that was relevant, like, a year ago. But thank you, McDonald's. You know what the kid's like. Uh, speaking as things, speaking of being a kid, I thought it would be fun to list three weird things that I did. I was a pretty weird kid. I think we were all pretty weird. I especially was a weird kid, and I don't have too much shame in that. Uh, and un- <laughs> and not unlike Honey Boo Boo, I would eat weird things. Uh, I would definitely, when no one was paying attention, I would eat uncooked. <laughs> hot dogs right out of the package when they're all slimy and gross like and I would like eat all the little hot dog skin off first and then I'd just have like the wet weird floppy inside and I'd eat that last and it wasn't even my favorite part but I just would eat it last um another weird thing I would do is I don't know if you guys remember those uh like they have the ones with like that it's like fake cheese like the cheese is a solid and then you kind of like smush it onto the cracker with that little red stick they had those, and then they had the ones with the breadstick where you would dip it in the cheese. Well, what I would do is I would just get the scissors and cut off the cheese packet and then just eat the cheese and just the cheese. Uh, so I like the cracker one okay, but the cheese and the breadsticks totally just ate the cheese. Like, And I knew it was weird. You know, when you're a kid, no one has told you that that's weird, but you just have, like, a sneaking suspicion. So I would, like, take that and then I'd go, like, hide in the living room, like, behind a chair and then just eat my fake solid cheese with my finger. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't have friends. Uh, and then another weird thing I would do, I mean, I loved Nickelodeon just like most 90s kids did. I had a specific fascination with the Rugrats. Loved the Rugrats. I actually loved the Rugrats so much, I created an interpretive dance to the theme song, and I have distinct memories of rolling around on my grandmother's carpet doing what you could only call 
tribal-like dances that involved pounding on the floor and rolling around and, and you know, minus the starvation, I guess. So I don't really remember what other shows I would do it to. I think maybe Cat Dog, but definitely Rugrats. The do-do-do-do-do-do. Perfect for for being a weird tribal-like child. Um, yep. And as a child, I'm working on transitions this week. So as a child, I would respond to the, to the, uh, pronoun she. I want to talk about pronouns because as things get more gender open and we're all gender accepting of each other, uh, it's important to use the right pronouns. And kind of goes back to what I was talking about last time about kind of offense and things like that. Uh, I don't think you can really be truly offended by someone using the wrong pronoun if it is a genuine mistake. If they're doing it to be rude or to be a dick, then screw them. They're an a-hole. But if someone just uses the wrong pronoun on accident, I, I don't think it's okay to crucify them, especially if you're one of those people that goes by they and them, because that is simply grammatically incorrect. I don't care what you want to be. I just, I will refer to you by your name and talk to you as if I am writing in the third person, but I will not use improper grammar. Like, I just won't. Uh, I've, I've mentioned this briefly before, but it really does upset me that you think that you are so special that you can disrupt speaking patterns that we have held dear in the English language for quite a long time. I also don't like how it is supposedly very offensive, like why I can't just say it something that is completely gender neutral um, because of a negative connotation. Well, anytime I use the word they or them in an improper sort, it's going to be with a very negative connotation just because you think you're above grammar and simply no one is above grammar. Grammar is love. Grammar is life. And I just, I just won't ever use them. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> that was a pun. Although, see, now they just proved to have slight worth for me in, in pun in pun currency, at the very least. So, you know, I thought I'd have more, more gusto for, like, fighting against they and them, but I kind of lost my steam. Um, especially because I keep somehow accidentally using it in proper grammar while simultaneously referring to those who identify with they and them, and it's kind of painfully ironic to my argument to the point where I just kind of have to stop talking. Um, last last time, I did a segment on dreams that was wildly popular uh, for two people. They just, they just adored it. And unfortunately, I can't really remember any other dreams that I've had that were quite that vivid. Uh, I just kind of remember little tidbits of dreams, uh, maybe some reoccurring dreams. One of these dreams being my fear of Spanish class. In my dream, I would wake up within my dream and realize that I had a huge Spanish test that I needed to study for, and I would sit there and I would learn all the Sayamas and the Yamos and a narrow Febrero, and that's all I remember. And, like, I think I can count to, like, 19. Um, but anyway, I'd panic. But, like, in my dream, I would have, like, a four-day dream that included waking up, eating, going to sleep, and so forth. 
and I just stressed about it. And then eventually I woke up, but I woke up for real, but I was still convinced that it was like test day and I started panicking. And then I realized I haven't taken any kind of Spanish class since like 2008. And I was in an in-depth panic for no reason. I also tend to have some trends in my dream where I fall off horses. I am not a horse person. Uh, they're a little too big, and I don't like that they can like bite off your fingers with those giant chompers. I don't know. Maybe those are just horror stories. I don't really care for horses. I don't think that they're as majestic as people think, because I, I saw this thing once where the horse falls into an ice lake and then just decides this is where it dies and doesn't even try to save itself. Um, so I don't have a lot of respect for horses. I don't think they value life. So, but I have dreams where I'm riding them and then I fall off. Like some weirdos are chasing me in cloaks, like Dementor style. And then I, me and my horse, or sometimes I'm falling wild list on a horse. Like we're running on this Ivy pathway and then like the floor opens up and then me and the horse fall. And then the horse will like land on top of me and kill me because I can totally die in my dreams. I know some people are like, oh, like folklore says that if you die in your dream, you will definitely die in real life. False. Unless I'm dead or I'm dreaming right now. Probable. I also had this dream where I was stuck in this ocean that was like four feet deep and the waves were like pushing me against the rocks and all my friends were like sitting there and I was like reaching up to have them give me a hand. And then they were just like, no, you're fine, Chelsea. Like, you'll you'll figure it out. And I'm like, what the hell? And I'm, like, scratching at the rocks. I'm getting, like, pulled back out into the current, trying to come back. And my friends are just sitting there, happy as can be, watching me die. So, you know, I have really good luck with dreams, I guess. It is only logical that now we must discuss locusts versus grasshopper. Now... I'm really not sure if I've ever seen a locust. Um, from my understanding, locusts are larger than grasshoppers, and they are a plague, if you ask a Jew or someone who has studied the Old Testament, or rather the Torah. But anyway, I think I like grasshoppers better simply because they are not bigger than grasshoppers. I think that's an excellent reason to prefer grasshoppers over locusts. I think that, actually, I don't like either. Uh, grasshoppers are scary. Uh, they're very sharp, and they bite. I know this because my friend and I, we would catch roly-polies, and by catch roly-polies, we would collect, like, 400 roly-polies and put them in a tiny can and listen to them crawl, and the sound is frightening. Uh, it's definitely one of the later layers of hell. But one time we caught a grasshopper. It was very exciting. We caught him in a net, and then we shoved him into the can with the... I don't think there was roly-polies in there yet. I don't remember. But he was very scary looking, and I think he bit or he was sharp and cut one of us. And it was very frustrating because we wanted to keep him as a pet because we were small children. And this was before we really knew how to navigate the internet. So we couldn't just Google. We didn't know how to Google what you grasshoppers eat. Instead, we called an exterminator because, you know, they know bugs, right? And we asked them what grasshoppers eat. And then they quickly, because, I mean, it was terrible karma, really, because 
we would always prank call people. That was like one of our hobbies is we'd go home from school, we'd grab the phone book and we would endlessly prank call people. And this time we were calling for real. And of course we were just the, the girls who cried exterminator and they hung up on us and did not answer a question. What, what did grasshoppers eat? So we just had to let them go. So that we did. And it was very sad. He was a jerk, though. I mean, I don't think that I'll miss him. I really hate all bugs that hop. And grasshoppers are even worse because they, like, hop fly. And then they, like, latch on with their little hooks. But I think grasshoppers have maybe a place in the world. But I feel like locusts are just inconveniences sent by God. Or by the devil or whoever the lord of the locusts may be. They're, you know, they're kind of creepy. Speaking of creepy, these transitions are going great. I thought I'd talk a little bit about irrational fears. I think everyone may have one. Uh, Sometimes we're afraid of real things in my blog. Follow me on WordPress, Chelsea Bells. Uh, I recently talk about how I kind of got over this crowd anxiety that I had. Uh, It was kind of a recent thing kind of an irrational fear. I really just don't like people touching me that I don't know, like bumping shoulders. It freaks me out. Randomly just kind of got over it out of nowhere. Uh, So there's a little more tangible fears like that. They don't really make a lot of sense, but it's kind of not wanting to be in an uncomfortable situation. Uh, When I was a kid, I used to be afraid of elevators. There's this one elevator at my mom's work, and it just wouldn't. It's the kind that kind of dips down and then like makes terrible crunching noises that sound like crash test dummies, skulls breaking, and then it's like, okay, like, you're here, get out. So I just didn't have, just kind of, was always afraid of them, uh, made me anxious every time I go in there. But I feel like to an extent that's not too irrational. I mean, it's a big metal box. If it, if it breaks, it's, you're probably going to die. So, I mean, I think that that's a thing. And if you're in an elevator, that kind of sounds like from what you know to be breaking, It makes sense, and then you just kind of have this general association, and I don't think, I think it's almost rational, almost, because then when you factor in the likelihood of it breaking, you know, then then that's where it gets a little more on the crazy, not legitimate side, but I did have one fear, and I, uh, it still makes me uncomfortable, that is more on the irrational side, because there's not really any danger, um, I've been terrified of lake fish, for a very long time. Uh, I've gone snorkeling in the ocean, fine, beautiful fish, and, you know, there's sea turtles and crap, and, and I'm good with that. I like I like the ocean, and even though oceans are deeper and oceans are scarier, I'm not as afraid of the ocean as I am of lake fish or freshwater fish, it would be more aptly named. Um, I was at the river once, and a carp brushed against my lake. It was rather big. Another time, a dead carp came floating down the, the river. Freaked me the hell out. And I, I just, you know, things kind of touched you, but it was specifically the fish. And for a long time, I couldn't figure out why. I would always joke that maybe in a past life, uh, fish, like, picked up my dead corpse, and now I just hate fish. But then I came across the memory when trying to remember things or just sitting about how when I was three years old I was trying to keep up with the older kids at church and we were hopping across the rocks over the koi pond and I fell in 
I fell into the koi pond. And I remember seeing fish swimming by. Um, I couldn't swim at the time. My dad pulled me out. Uh, good news is we didn't have to go to church that day. But ever since then, I don't know, maybe I just don't trust fish. I got some kind of issue. I don't think they have my back. I don't think that they'll look out for me. And I know they'd just let me drown. And I don't think I ever recovered. I mean, I, I'd get uncomfortable when we go to to Bass Pro Shops. <laughs> I sound like such a redneck. Uh, I'd like to go in there. I don't know. Because I got the big old scary thing. So I get to look at my fear. And then I'd get to be paralyzed by it. But you can go down the stairs and you can actually, if you wanted to, you could jump into the tank and no one could stop you by the time you hit the water. And I just thought if someone pushed me in there, I would just die of a heart attack by the fact that this giant fish may get near me. Because these are the huge ones. Like, these are ones where, like, they may not be able to bite you, but they could totally fit your foot in their mouth. And that freaks me out. Um, But I think irrational fears, I think we all kind of have them. And I think the best part of irrational fears is, at least for me, that they're not part of my daily life. I remember that show where they, like, then they try to do exposure therapy, and these people are like, I'm afraid of singly packaged cheese slices. And then they'd be like, oh, I know. We'll take you to this room filled with craft singles. We're going to help you. And then you just watch them have an emotional breakdown. It made for great TV, but it probably didn't help their issue. I don't know. I feel like irrational fears, I, sometimes I think they're solved kind of irrationally. Like one day you just kind of stop being freaked out. That's what happened with me in the crowds. I just realized I was fine and everything was okay. And that I was just a crazy person and that was comforting to me. So yeah, so that's my, my take on irrational fears. I know that people all have their own and I think that it is okay. I think to an extent you need to forgive yourself for being afraid of something so silly because in a way it's kind of like a preference. Like I prefer not to be eaten by lake fish, just like I prefer salt and pepper on my Subway sandwiches. You know, it's all all just kind of up in the air. I don't know if you guys caught it, but this is another time I've talked about Subway. I I think next, I, I didn't really organize these topics very well at all. That was my doing. I'm still getting used to this whole outline thing. I put this one together myself, and I had good flow, but I really don't know how I can go from lake fish to facial symmetry. Um, but I guess fish tend to have symmetrical faces. Uh, facial symmetry, why I picked that was because oftentimes when people ask me to compliment them or I feel it is appropriate to make a compliment, that one of the highest compliments I can give you is like, oh, your face is very symmetrical. Like, your face is pleasing to my eyes. Like, see, I'm complimenting you. And because I'm weird. I'm, I'm really bad at complimenting. It's, it's no joke. But I thought facial symmetry was important because I've definitely told people their face is symmetrical without their face actually being symmetrical. I mean, as you know, no one's face is perfectly symmetrical. It's kind of like, it's, you know, hopefully your eyes are kind of near each other and they are evened out in your face and you don't have like Quasimodo syndrome. I don't know. That sounds like it'd be mean if that was, like, the name of the syndrome. But anyway, I've decided that my definition of facial symmetry in regards to attractiveness is actually goes along more of the theory that everyone kind of has two faces. Like, I for sure have a, a, 
better side. I have a more photogenic side and a more physically appealing side. Um, and when I take my pictures, I usually make sure that that's the side that gets in. And when it's the other side that does, I look like a completely different person. Uh, but overall, I have decent facial symmetry. And the reason is, is because both of my faces are about equal in attraction level. So the left side of my face is like a solid, like, eight. But the right side of my face is probably like a six. Maybe a, it's a six. It's maybe five, six. There's really nothing special about it. It's like, mm, that side's really pretty. Maybe if it's more masculine too. My right side is like my man side. Um, so if like I decided to switch genders, I would totally take pictures the other way. But anyway, overall you even those out and I'm still at about a seven or a six and a half, right? So that's good. That's above a five. I am, my face is a pleasing, is pleasingly symmetrical because, you know, I'm, I'm above a five. No matter what side you look at me, I'm, a, I'm at least a five and I'm usually over because, you know, when you average things, just like the average person has more than two nibbles. So it's just kind of like that. And so if I say your face, I, you know, your face is symmetrical, that means that if I average out your two faces, you got a pretty decent face. It's, and, you know, it gets kind of interesting, uh, and the theory doesn't work to an extent, considering, let's say, on one side of their face, they were like a 10, and the other was a 1, and then they average out a 5, but if you were to take a step back, dear God, what is that? Um, we're still working out the kinks. But I thought I would discuss my views on facial symmetry, and the goal is to not have two identical faces, it's to have two faces that are mostly compatible. I feel like I need to create an extra, an extra number, like a like, what's it called? Like, a deviation. You have to, like, you can't deviate more than three points from the other face and still look like a normal person. I think that's a solid number. Maybe even two. Two would probably be better. But then I get, I get on the verge, so I have to make sure. I'll just say my man side is, like, a six. It's, like, a seven if it were a dude, but it's, like, but anyway. Um, so those are, that's my take on facial symmetry. And, you know, sometimes your face... No, I can't. I can't make a good transition. I wanted to talk about the best insults for road rage. Uh, I live in Southern California, so naturally road rage is something that I cannot avoid. It actually happens to me. It's probably in my genetics. And there's a, a many different ways you can approach it. I, I'm always I'm always yelling something at somebody when... And, you know, usually I just put two curse words together because I'm so angry. I just think of the two curse words that pop in my head. And you can easily imagine, um, or sometimes I do one curse word and then a random word, like like uh, maybe something like faggot king or something. And then but the, the most irritating part is, is I'll come up with something like that, but then I get stuck in my head. So I'm saying faggot king for like 13 days straight to anyone who cuts me off. And, you know, it starts getting old, and people laugh the first time they hear it, and then they're like, okay, like, Chelsea, you're killing it, like, don't say again, and it's like, but no, like, I really can't stop, like, it's stuck in my head. But sometimes I like to go, I think sometimes the childish route, and wishing them ill without using curse words can be more powerful, because you actually have to be more specific about how you want their life to go wrong. Like, I hope you have a terrible time at your 
next birthday party. Like, yikes. Like, that's kind of, instead of, you're just calling them a name before, but now you're, like, wishing something ill upon them. And and I find that without curse words, it, it actually gets a lot more ugly. Like, one of the worst things I say is I wish, I wish curses upon their sons. And that's probably not cool. Like, no one should be wishing curses, because that's how bad karma gets to you. So I actually think it's better to insult them verbally with inf- with inflammatory language. I think that that's the best because you're not really putting out anything evil into the world. You're just saying what you're thinking. And you know what? He is a faggot king. Or you know what? That dingle berry twat liquor. You know, it, I think it's fitting. I think it's fair. You're just saying it how it is. You're being super truthful and without a without wishing death upon anybody or bad birthdays because to some people birthdays are important I'm not one of those people so you can wish me a bad birthday and I'll be like well yeah I know like oh made myself sad that's not true I've had some good birthdays but I don't care about my birthdays that much I'm making myself sad guys uh but one thing that always makes me happy that's a transition in case you couldn't tell is waiters. Uh, My friends give me a lot of shit for it, but waiters love me, and I love waiters. And people would say, oh, Chelsea, it's because you're pretentious and you love being waited on. And no, that's not the case. I just, I just love that. Me and waitresses don't really get along. We, like, give each other dirty looks. Me and the waiters, they like to talk to me, and I'm a talker. I'm totally, if I'm with a group, I'm the one talking to the waiter. I'm the usually the one who's like, hey, let's put the check. Sometimes, I've been lazy lately. I've been making my friends do it because I think it's good for them. They need to be real adults sometimes. I'm always the first one to say it. I like, I ask them how their day is. I joke with them when my friends are being difficult because they forget how to person and they don't know how to order. And I just, I don't know. I just think waiters, I just think with anything. Like, you know, whoever's helping you, they're a person. They've dealt with people all day, and 90% of people are pretty shitty. So why don't you be the other 10% and brighten them up? And waiters love it when you ask them questions. Like, I thought maybe I'd do a little how-to. Okay, never put something stupid. When you've got a big group of people, don't put a dumb name. Put your name. Put the name of the person who's going to do all of the talking, because I swear, like, they can sense it. And it makes sense. It gives them a leader. It gives them someone to address if something goes wrong. And I think that little piece is like a little bit of an anxiety reliever. I mean, I've never, I've never waited on anybody because I'm too clumsy and I'm too mean. So this is all speculation. But I've found that they like it. They also like it when you treat them like they're a person. And I treat people weirdly. And I like to ask them questions. And like, I like to ask them weird questions. Um, Especially if they're not busy. Now, if they're busy and then you start asking them questions, you're just annoying them and then they, like, have to be nice and they're like, great, this person's a weirdo, so in order to get a tip, I just have to let them be a weirdo at me. Yeah, sense your situation. Be cool. And if there's a lot of you or you know you're going to be splitting up the checks in a stupid way, like, give them a heads up. Apologize anytime you ask for anything. Like, I always like to say, I'm sorry I'm so difficult or I'm sorry I have a bad case of the dumbs. And I think it makes them laugh, because I feel like as a waiter, you get blamed for everything, regardless of if it's your fault. So a customer taking responsibility for how stupid they are, I think is a big breath of fresh air. And they just love it. Um, 
And yeah, and then if I talk to them, I think why they talk back to and like why they love me is they're like, oh, she's desperate for attention. So if I flirt with her, she'll give me a tip, which if you refill my drink all the way and my drink is never empty, you're going to get a big fat tip whether you flirt with me or not. Because really, I just like flirting with you because you have to deal with me. And I find it amusing. And I love it. And I love waiters. And I love going out to eat. It's exciting for me. I must have been some weird shut-in in a past life that was then killed and eaten by lake fish. But, you know, that's just kind of, I guess, how the how the cookie crumbles, right? Um, other than that, don't be annoying, like, to your waiter. Don't be weird. Don't giggle. Oh, my God. I, like, feel bad for any waiter when I'm with a bunch of females. And then, like, they giggle because he's cute and they don't stop giggling. Nah, get your shit together. Be a person. Try to make it clear and concise. And tell, tell some jokes. Be funny. Be entertaining. They like it because no one cares about them while they're at work. And that's really sad. And I'm making myself sad. I'm sad now. I guess, like, in all of my podcasts, I briefly sum up my, uh, my experience uh, my experience is positive. I think I enjoyed this. Um, yeah, I'm very verbose. I feel like I talked a little fast, but I feel like last time I talked too slow. So, you know, we'll find, we'll find the rhythm eventually. But yeah, so, uh, look me up on WordPress, Chelsea Bells. Just look it up. I found it. It is my name, so I don't have to spell it anymore. Um, you can follow me on Twitter, but I don't tweet anything, so there's no point. So, you know, stay tuned. Or don't. Podcast out every sometimes. Alright, now I'm just rambling. Okay now. Bye!